Well, good morning, Servants Church, and welcome to our online Sunday service for today. Um, looking at the comments, Ben's with me, and looking at the comments, everyone was very positive and appreciative of the worship. And so that's a big shout out to Rory, who spent a lot of time editing and things like that. Well, today we continue our series on the Lord's Supper. And uh, we started this off way back in January, where John, on the Vision Sunday for the year, outlined the meaning and purpose for the Lord's Supper or Communion. Incidentally, he also said something that made me smile. A year of radical change. John, you were prophetic. But we went on to look in January uh, at Exodus 12 and the Passover, and Ben took us through the meaning and significance of the Passover. In February, Craig looked at uh, John 6 and Jesus saying and explaining that he was the bread of life. In March, Neil looked and took us through the actual Lord's Supper. And last uh, time, Zach took us through the verses in 1 Peter 2. And now you've got me. And we're looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 47. And I want to read that and then I'll pray and then we'll get into the passage. So Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So, just backtracking slightly... In Acts chapter 1, Jesus told the disciples to wait, and then he left them to go up to heaven. Matthias was chosen to replace Judas as the twelfth apostle, and they continued to wait. 120 of them waiting regularly, and at chapter 2, they were waiting in the upper room, and it says all of them were together. And then we have the coming of the Holy Spirit and uh, all the events there. And then Peter addressed the crowd. And in verse, chapter 2, verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then we have the beginnings of the early church. 
Now, the church is God's plan, God's idea and God's means for reaching out to a lost world. But right at the beginning, it was a baby church. It was a new church. It was stripped back to basics. If we look, there was no persecution. That was to come in chapters 4, 6 and 8. In verse, uh, chapter 8, the church was persecuted and scattered out to Judea and Samaria. There was no church, formal church discipline. The apostles were in charge and responsible. But church discipline didn't really come in until chapter 5. Apart from the apostles, there were no formalised church officers at this time. In chapter 6, we had deacons. And in chapter 11, we have elders, church elders, mentioned for the first time. Also, at this stage, there was no crossing of culture. That happened first in chapter 8 with Philip reaching out to the Ethiopian eunuch. And then in chapter 10, Peter meeting Cornelius. There was no real cross-cultural missionary activity. That started in chapter 11 with the church developing in Antioch. And then in chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas were sent off. So the idea is that this church at this stage was a baby church. It was stripped back and we see the bare bones of the beginning of the church. And so if we look at verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And we've got these four foundations or means of grace for our personal and corporate life and growth in our church. These four things are fundamental for our growth as individuals and as a church together. We've got the apostles teaching while well, we've got scripture, fellowship, sharing together lives, experiences and sharing practically to follow the Lord. We've got the breaking of bread, which was the only service that Jesus outlined and asked us to follow. And then we've got prayer. What I did was I've put a, a link in the notes uh, to a C.S. Lewis Institute, which gives us a useful summary of these foundational principles and means of grace in the church. So do make that link, follow it through, but not now, please. But I want you to notice in verse 42, it says, these 3,000 plus the 120 plus the apostles devoted themselves. Devoted, I looked up, means to give up everything to concentrate on one particular pursuit. In the, the authorised, and when we translate from the, uh, the original Greek, we have the expression that they continually, steadfastly devote, 
continued steadfastly to do these things, to follow the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, break bread and prayer. And I think I prefer that expression, to continued steadfastly. Because I looked up some of the synonyms for uh, continuing steadfastly. Continue loyally, faithfully, to to be committed, to be devoted, to be dedicated, to be dependable, reliable, steady, true, constant, determined, resolved, resolute, relentless, single-minded, unchanging, unhesitating, unswerving, unflinching and uncompromising. So those ideas are all linked with this idea that these early followers of Jesus were devoted to these four means of grace, these four founding principles of the church. And we need to perhaps apply ourselves in this area. Now, we come to our present situation. All four of those founding principles have been affected, some more so perhaps than others. I praise the Lord for the technology that we have to be meeting like this with Ben and Rory and everybody involved. It's amazing the way we've actually been able to transfer the physical church online. And I praise the Lord for that. And also we we have access to Servants Church online, to John's teaching, other teaching. We can access books. But when we get to the breaking of bread, some churches have actually stopped breaking bread which saddens me. And that's one of the things that we are doing this today. So if you haven't got the elements ready, the bread and wine, perhaps you need to send someone out uh, to the kitchen to try and sort that out. Also, prayer has altered. No longer can we meet face to face. And so prayer online via Zoom Praying over the phone perhaps has been a bit of a barrier for some. But it's in the area of fellowship that I think we've most been hit. It's been a radical shift in how we carry out this fellowship, this growing together, this sharing lives with one another. And I've been thinking about some of the struggles that we've had with this massive shift online and not being able to have that face-to-face contact, that ability just to reach out and touch somebody on the arm or put an arm around somebody. It's something that we've lost and it's going to take a while for us to get back. But there are other struggles. Um, Talking to people and just getting a feeling of what's happening. Lots of us have struggled with sleeplessness. 
confusion about the whole situation, frustration with the lack of ability to hold normal church, helplessness, anger, um, thrown together with our families. There's been really good times in our family, but there have been one or two arguments and uh, things like that. But there's also been a lack of contact with our wider family. We've been unable to meet up and share struggles and joys, birthday parties and celebrations. It's been a challenge. It's been a difficulty. And the whole issue of online communication, I find it a very one-dimensional uh, way of communicating. And to be honest, I do at times struggle with it. But at the moment, it's our only real means of communication. And let's be honest, it's hard work making the effort to join a Zoom group. It's a hard work to join the Zoom uh, prayer meeting. Talking to John in the week, I'm sure many of people are sympathetic to the fact that some of us are experiencing screen fatigue. It's hard work to join a group. Make that click to join the link. And for many, it's been a real challenge. This move to online communication. Um, at work, I'm a school teacher in my school, I've had to join five WhatsApp groups. And it, it's, it's amazing the number of messages that come through and my phone pinging and having to turn my phone off and then scrolling through and, to be honest, not really um, giving the messages my full attention. And there have been one or two occasions where I've missed an important piece of information. But also, um, regarding that, um, it's possible that uh, using this form of communication, leaving messages and emails, um, I'll be honest, have I answered all my messages? Have I answered all my emails? And I'll be honest, I have to say no. But when these forms are the only real means of communication that we have, I think a problem can arise. Because if we leave messages unanswered, in many ways, we're rejecting that person who sent the message. And in rejecting them, we're dismissing them, not seeing as them as their message and their ideas as important. And for some, there may be feelings of, of rejection at this time. Also, there have been times and I've been prompted to pick up the phone, make a phone call, send a message. And I haven't done that. And perhaps others are in the same position. 
And also, another thing that I was thinking of, and again, I have to hold my hand up and say I'm guilty. Some of the, some of the videos that the church has put on, the testimonies, which have been excellent, but have I clicked on them, given the thumbs up, made a comment as I should? Because at the moment, that is the real way we can actually communicate and encourage those people who are making uh, and setting those messages, sending those messages and those videos. I've been learning a lot about social media. My family will tell you that when it comes to that, I'm a bit not very good. I've discovered that you can actually read an email, read a message, and then you can click. You don't even have to respond in a tight response. You can actually just click your response. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that. And are we doing these things in the time where we need to encourage one another, build one another up? Um, we need to be doing these things. And so, in the light of that, I think there can be feelings of being slighted, dismissed, disconnected, left out, and misunderstanding. There's also perhaps a danger of online cliques where people posting very happy pictures, which is fine about family and things that are happening. But again, what image are we portraying online? Going back to the WhatsApp situation, the men's group I found really encouraging. Although I haven't really commented that much. One thing that I do find interesting is when you look at the thread, there are deleted messages. And I just wonder, why was that message deleted? What was said? And so I'll just leave you with this um, idea. Remember, we are ambassadors for Christ. So before we post, tweet, share or email, remember, in the same way, let our light shine before others that they may see our good deeds and glorify our God in heaven. Matthew 5, verse 19, uh, 16. And so I found this period a challenge, particularly when it comes to the online way of doing things and how we need to encourage and develop, particularly fellowship in this way. At the moment, things are slightly easing and we're moving out in some way in, into the possibility of meeting in small groups and things like that. And so we need to be thinking and praying for wisdom for John and the leaders as they begin to work out how we can begin to move in this area and move out from lockdown and social distancing and things like that. And we need to bear with one another, particularly in grace, love, acceptance, understanding 
and patience. Because we're going to all be at different stages. We are all not going to be able to meet together when, when we do get permission to meet together. And in the context of communion and from what I've said, I just want to spend a couple of minutes praying about the situation, recognising the situation that we're in. Also confessing some of our failures, some of my failures in the area of building fellowship in difficult times and repenting of that and then just praying for the next steps. So, Heavenly Father, we recognise that we live in challenging, difficult times where church life has been radically affected, particularly in the area of fellowship. And Lord, we, if we're honest, I'm sure all have experienced struggles in this area. That email that hasn't been answered, that message that hasn't been answered. Those videos that we've watched, we haven't responded to in a way that's encouraging. And Lord, we recognise all these failings. At times, the negativity and the frustration and the lack of ability to actually meet with one another face to face, one to one. And Father, we just want to confess these things and just ask that you will deal with us in these areas, that you will help us put things right if we have to say sorry to people for misunderstandings or whatever. And Lord, we just pray that you will, at this time, at this difficult time where fellowship seems so incredibly hard, that you will show us new ways that you will prompt us in ways that we can reach out to each other in real meaningful ways. And Lord, we just pray that you will forgive us where we've let you down and let each other down. And Lord, we just ask that you will take us on. And Lord, we just thank you that things are slowly changing. And Father, we just pray that you will be with us, that you will give us the ability to be patient with one another, that we will carry one another's burdens, that we will see others better than ourselves. And Lord, as we move to the possibility of meeting together, Father, we just pray that you'll give us love and wisdom for each other, to help each other to move forward. Lord, we just ask that you'll be with John and the leaders as they work out the practicalities of what's happening. So, Father, we just lift these prayers to you and just ask that you will do a deep work in our lives at this time. In Jesus' name, Amen. Right, as as we've looked at, we've had looked at these four
foundational principles of church life and how we are called to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to, uh, to prayer. We actually move on in verses 43 to 47, how the church began to do that building, that process in practice. We see some of the principles. And the question is, can we build these principles into our situation? How can we grow as individuals and as a church at this time? And as we look at these verses, and I'll just read them again. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many signs and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. By the believers, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together and with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. And as I looked at those verses, I saw eight uh, aspects where the Christians at that time were able to build the church. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through all eight. What I've done is I've paired them up, and so I've only got four. So in verse 43, the body was built up supernaturally and spiritually. And we've got this time where signs and wonders were being uh, produced by uh, the done by the apostles um, that may not be normative may not be quite so normal now but clearly the Lord was moving in this way um, as a church we feel that we believe that God does move miraculously um, but for me the God working miraculously his greatest work is through changing people's lives. Seeing people come from darkness to light, making that commitment to turn their back on their old life and grow in their new life with Jesus. And so that for me is the greatest miracle. And we can see this in this passage. God was at work changing people's lives. And the thing is, we can't do anything. It's the Lord's work. We work in partnership in a, as a junior partner with him. But the thing that struck me was in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. And in our house group this week, we've been, we've been studying Psalm 119, and this idea of awe has come up quite a lot. It's this Feeling this ability to see God as he really is. Looking up for our, from our own circumstances and looking to God. And there's a very famous, one of my favourite verses is Hebrews 12 and verse 2. 
it, the version I learned was looking unto Jesus. It was the motto of Crusaders, now Urban Saints, a youth movement that I was very heavily involved with as a young person, going along and going through their leadership program. But that verse has always stuck with me, looking unto Jesus. And then there's another verse that came to mind was in James 4 and verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. And as we recognise our position, our true position before God, and as we recognise who God is, looking unto him, drawing near to him, we can experience that awe and begin to see God working in our lives so that we can be built up and the body can be built up. So the early church was both supernatural and spiritual. If we look at verse 44 and 45, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And so the two points there for me are practical and sacrificial. Obviously, they were, it was the early church. They were together, everything held in common, selling goods and meeting needs. Now, for me, I don't see that as normative for today, normal for today necessarily. But I do see this idea of meeting people's needs as being very, very important. And I think for some of us, all of us perhaps, there has to be a sacrificial element in it. Meeting people's needs through using our time, our talents and our treasure. Um, just off the top of my head, here at Chilcrest Chapel, we have practical needs for finishing the building as soon as possible so that we can actually start to use it effectively. Um, meeting others' needs. Now, again, we're dependent on uh, finding out what these needs are. But again, are the people who are lonely who need visits and calls. And then practically, is there a need to help people that lacks uh, technical knowledge how to use the modern day technology in the church? I believe that we there are some that can't get onto Zoom, perhaps, who are a bit afraid of the modern media can we practically help them in, in these areas? Now, for that aspect of church life to develop, we need to know what needs there are. And so that's a reason why you could put something very briefly in the comments, contribute to Zoom after service, or contact the church. What are the needs? 
We want to meet them, but we can only meet them if we know what they are. And then we can match the needs with the resources that we have. But we do need to know the needs amongst us. Because I believe that God has given us the resources to meet those needs. Just very briefly, in Acts 4, which basically continues on with this way that the church met each other's needs. Um, Verse 35, chapter 4, verse 35. Um, you began to see the beginnings of a structure of how needs were met because the early Christians came and put the money at the apostles' feet and it was then distributed to anyone who had need. So the apostles were beginning to get more involved in the practical side of the church. Obviously, later they needed deacons to take that over. But there was a beginning of a structure And also, if we just back up one verse, the needs were the money was distributed to anyone as he had need. And so in that way, perhaps there was no needy person in the early church as their needs were met. Just something to think about. For us now, practically, we need to know as a church what needs there are. The third point I came up with was that the uh, early Christians, it was continual and accessible. Their meetings were continual and accessible in verse 46. The temple courts, well... They were about 35 acres, possibly, which is the equivalent of 560 tennis courts, 30 football pitches. And these were areas where big formal gatherings could meet and the apostles could preach. And clearly in that context, with large numbers there, there there was limited participation. And for us... Currently, we can't meet in groups of possibly more than 30, uh, depending on what the government says. And so we've actually got the model here that they met in people's homes, which were small, informal, um, which allowed active participation. And those small groups were the normal. It was where Christian life could be worked out and every aspect could come under scrutiny and people could learn and grow together. And this is the point that's quite interesting here. They broke bread. Now, uh, theologians and scholars have disagreed with Does that actually mean a communion service, a breaking of bread service? Um, Opinion is actually divided. But I'm inclined to say 
they were, and it's my conviction, that they were uh, breaking bread, taking communion in their homes. Especially as we look through the New Testament and we see um, churches in people's houses. We've got uh, the church that met in the house of Mary, mother of Mark, in Acts 12. And we've got Priscilla and Aquila's house church mentioned in Romans 16 and 1 Corinthians 16. And then we've got Paul's greetings to the various households. And in Philemon 2, we've got the church that meets in a home. And so we've got here a structure that was very, very important and fundamental to church life in the early church and also now, um, well, through history, but also now at this time. Um, Okay, Zoom meetings can be a bit of a challenge. We can get the Zoom fatigue, but slowly we may be able to begin meeting in small groups. We just have to wait and see. But these small groups, even though they take place virtually on Zoom and things, are very, very important. And the links are there in the notices that if anyone does want to join, feel free. Don't feel bad about joining late. Don't feel bad about getting on the bandwagon at this time, almost after the event. It's not too late to join a house group via Zoom, and we'd encourage you to do that. And then we've got the final uh, two aspects of church life, that the early Christians, the early church, was joyful and purposeful. There it says, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. And so this church was known for its joy, its excitement, its expectancy that God was going to move, God was going to work. And perhaps we need to see that more in our situation. They also found favour with all people, including their neighbours. So something that we can perhaps think about. And then the Lord added to their number. So they were joyful and purposeful in their commitment. So we've looked at the, in the beginning of the passage, we looked at the four foundations or means of grace for personal and corporate life and growth. We've noticed that the early church the followers of Jesus were devoted. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. And we need to be thinking how we can work these things out at this current time. Because we can see in verses 30, uh, 43 to the end of the uh, passage that they were supernaturally, supernatural and spiritual. They were practical and sacrificial. They were continual, the meetings were continual and accessible. And they were joyful 
and purposeful. And the question is, how can we grow personally and corporately in a church in this way, in our current circumstances? There's one or two suggestions, but please join with us in seeking the Lord and praying how we can move forward as a church at this time. We don't want to give up on these fundamental means of grace. How do we work these things through as a church? Please pray with John and the leaders, for John and the leaders at this time. Just very briefly, this idea of 3,000 added, uh, added that day in first chap, uh, chapter 2, verse 41. And then again in verse 47, the Lord added to their number daily. It was a t- time of growth. And I just pray that this period can be a time of growth for each other, uh, for each of us, as individuals, as corporately, but also people on the edge, people that we meet who aren't Christians. And with that in mind, I just want to look at what Peter said in chapter 2 and verse 38 when he was preaching to the crowds. Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so if there's anyone here who isn't yet a Jesus follower, I just want to just consider that verse. Because Peter spoke about sin, and sin separating us from a loving but yet holy, perfect God. And if we're honest, we recognise our own spiritual condition. The Bible says that we are dead in our sin. Our sin separates us from God. And if we are honest, we all think wrong things. We all say wrong things and we all do wrong things. And those things hurt people around us. And more importantly, they hurt and separate us from God. So we need to recognise and admit that we do not come up to God's standard. But we have here Jesus Christ. Jesus was perfectly sinless and he took the blame and punishment for our sin. And Peter goes on to say, repent. And that means turn away, turn away from the direction we're moving in, in our own selfishness, and do a U-turn and follow Jesus. And if we're meaning to admit, believe, and confess and act through that act of repentance, changing direction, then God sends his Holy Spirit so that we can have that relationship with him, which allows us to follow him. 
And so if there's anyone in there who's listening, who is not a Christian, not a Jesus follower, then perhaps you can think about this idea of admitting that we're separate from God, that sin separates us. And then believing in Jesus and what he did by taking the blame and punishment for our sin on the cross and proving that by rising from the dead. And if we choose to accept that and follow him, he will give us his Holy Spirit to enable us to follow him and enter into that eternal friendship and relationship with God.